0: You would open your Bibles to Numbers 12 tonight. Maybe not a text that we open to quite often, maybe ever. But we're going to look at that tonight in just a few minutes. Um, But again, uh, I want to talk up front about why we're having this conversation tonight. Um, You know, we as a church could easily just say, "Hey, it's not really affecting us. Should we talk about it? Do we have to talk about it?" As a pastor, I don't really want to talk about it just because it's just it's difficult, requires more work, and um, and uh, I'd rather focus on something that would be more, um, uh, you know really beneficial to us in the moment, but, you know, that's, that's not right because this is beneficial for us as a people and as a church and as Americans, um, and uh, we are going to have a conversation tonight about race and reconciliation, and there's two reasons why we're having this conversation. Um, number one, there's a lot of unrest in our country right now, isn't there? Um, that's not new. There's been a lot of unrest in our country for a long time around this very issue, um, really for too long. Um, And number two, we've got to talk about this because it'd be easy for us to not talk about it. Um, And the very fact that we could avoid it is perhaps the biggest impetus for us to have it. Um, And uh, I did a video addressing this on our Facebook page, but if you didn't see it, I brought a scripture from Amos. And Amos 6 says to the people of God Woe to those who are at ease in Zion! to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Amos says, I know this doesn't really impact y'all. I know this isn't really your problem, but there's some people down the mountain and there's some people that are outside of your sphere of influence that are going through some stuff that we need to pay attention to. We can't be complacent. We can't be at ease just because the problem may not land on our front porch. And, and, And we have been talking about this really for the last couple of months, how during times of crisis... God's people must stand up and speak up because we have hope, right? And the reason why we can't stay silent is because a world, our world out there is full of counterfeit hope, right? Turn on any particular news channel, listen to any particular politician, and they are selling a counterfeit hope right now. There's a lot of antichrist right now that are saying, if you follow me, I'll get you where you need to go. But none of those ways are going to get people to help. See, we're like those, those lepers who uh, found refuge in that camp that Syria abandoned. And at the break of dawn, they realized we've been reveling in these riches and this, uh, this, this you know, supply all night. But it's not right for us to keep it to ourselves. We've got good news, and we got to go tell the world about it. So the reason why we can't stay silent when our world is going through something that might not affect us is because we have the hope of Jesus. And the only thing that's going to help our world is the hope of Jesus. So we have got to go and find some way to get the hope to them. Jeremiah, a prophet that spoke in this same time period, said this, Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? He's saying to God's people, don't y'all have the physician and the healing that the world needs? So why is the world not being helped? Now, of course, they might not accept it, but Jeremiah says, I see the problem, and it's because we're not out there preaching it. We're not out there offering it. Now, this is going to come full circle at the end of this, but listen to Jeremiah. He's a little bit in our face about this, but listen to him ask these rhetorical questions in the next chapter. Who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? Now, the, their country had been overwhelmed by disaster and by chaos and by violence. Hello? And Jeremiah says, oh, I wonder why this has happened. And he knows why. The Lord says, because the people have forsaken my law and have not obeyed my voice and they're not walking the way they need to walk. He's not condemning the world. He's saying, my people have not been doing what my people ought to do. They've not obeyed me or walked according to my voice. But have stubbornly followed their own hearts and gone after the Baals. There is a temptation in all of us to say, you know what, not my problem. And that doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you a person, right? That not make you an awful person, it just makes you a person. There is something in all of us that says, I'd just like to not really de- get into this because it's not really my issue. Now, what does it mean to go after the Baals? Baal was a fertility god. Baal was a god of the land that basically was brought prosperity to the people on their terms. That if we worship this God, he's going to do for us what we want the gods to do for us. And here's the thing. The Israelites often worshipped Baal, but they renamed him Yahweh. They often worshipped Baal, but by presentation and in in their confession, they called Baal Yahweh, but Baal was the true God they were worshipping. They were still worshipping their own ideas. We don't want our streets any more desolate than they are already, do we? Jesus said he would leave us desolate if we didn't take a better message to the streets and say blessed. He said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So listen, my message tonight is not one that condemns based on a privilege that we have that the left might would push. And it's also not one of being indifferent like the right might would push. We have a Christian privilege that forbids us from being indifferent to the pain and suffering in our world. Whether it's taking up the cause of the unborn, or in the past few months, the vulnerable, or in this current season, the struggle and pain of the African American people, as Christians, we can't ignore those that are in pain, those that are vulnerable, those that cannot speak for themselves or can't help themselves in a situation. So I'm going to frame this conversation for you through my own eyes, if you'll allow me. And we might be here a little bit for tonight, but y'all don't mind, but... I'll follow my rules Sunday. <laughs> um, now, not that my vantage point is superior, um, but it's just that I think it's important that y'all know how I see this because I'm the one talking, and I want y'all to know that I'm holding myself accountable to some sort of standard. But I want y'all to know the vantage point that I'm seeing, not because mine's better, but because I feel like that y'all need to know how I've arrived at this place, and y'all need to know how kind of I've sought God on this and try to find some clarity and some help. and And it's not a perfect representation. Uh, And it may not represent your mind and your view, but it does mine. And I feel like that's important before I start talking as if I have any kind of authority from the Bible. So I was born in 1990. Uh, 1990, not that long ago, right? 30 years, it seems like a long time, but it's not been that long. But that was 127 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, where Abraham Lincoln uh, freed slaves, uh, freed the African Americans that were in slavery. 26 years after the first Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, and of course a few more were passed, President Jimmy Carter said in the 70s that he believed that Ma- America had entered a place where racial discrimination was a thing of the past. That in the, in the late 70s and early 80s, it was a thing to call America a post-racial society because of all the progress that had been made. Now, and I'll say, growing up in the 90s, from my vantage point, I would have said this progress had been made. You know, my introduction to the subject of racism was when discovering that there were people who still held on to prejudices and saw the world differently than me and differently than I had been taught to. Listen, my family and our circle of friends, we were predominantly and are predominantly white, but we were perhaps pretty progressive when it comes to most families in this area. Growing up, I was, uh, had a lot of interactions and was always was in you know, conversation with and in uh, community with, with uh, uh, several African-American families. One of my grandmother's best friends um, is an Afri- African-American woman, Juanita. Spent a lot of time with my family growing up. I didn't think there was any difference just because the skin was different. Um, one of my grandpas and my dad's most trusted and valued employees to this day, um, an African-American man named Jackie. One of the pillars of our company to this day, um, uh, Curtis, is is someone I share conversations and interactions with almost daily. Never has skin color been a thing I even thought about when talking to these people. Uh, My second cousin, Taylor, was born to my cousin, Allison, uh, an African-American man in the late 90s. So I tell you this, not to say, oh, look at me, but to say that while I am aware and I was aware that racism was a backdrop of my time on this earth, growing up, I would have never thought it was an issue. Some of us were just different shades than the other. It would be easy for me to excuse myself in this conversation, not because I've never dealt with racism personally, you know, because I, I could say, hey, look at me, I'm kind of an anomaly for people in my area. But to suggest that I didn't become aware of the greater issue in our country would be a lie. And I, I kind of think that when I really became aware of it was uh, around and after 2008. When our country nominated and elected the first african-american uh, black president barack obama I, I didn't support him and didn't uh, didn't vote for him I, but i can say that it can't be a coincidence that since 2008 there's something that has resurfaced in our country that maybe it was suppressed and not given a voice but in the years since it's become clear that america is not a post-racial society as jimmy carter predicted Regardless of what stoked these fires, the tension between races over the past 15 years has been palpable at times, whether it was from one side or the other. It's just been something you could sense. Did the simple election of a black man create this? Of course not. But it exposed what was in some hearts. In recent years, there's been this tension between um, African-American oppression and law enforcement. There's been this tension between the black and the blue, right? And people ask questions, is it real? Is there really oppression or injustice toward a certain people from a certain profession? It, it, are there just exceptions to the rule that, that people make a big deal about? And listen, I'm not here to give my commentary on any given situation or case, but I am here to say that we can't deny that racism is an ugly problem that persists in our country, whether it's the cause of these problems that get made on the news or not. We see this t- tendency in, of, of racism rise up, and at least reaction alone. The breadcrumbs from the racism that exists is what leads to so much unrest. And I want to make sure I say this Is there any excuse for violence? No, never. Is there any excuse for hatred, though? No, never. As long as there's hatred, there will be acts of hatred. As long as there's acts of hatred, there will be acts of violent retribution. It's a cycle that seems to feed itself, doesn't it? But here's what I want to shine a little light on tonight. Have I ever been discriminated against because of my skin color? No. Have I ever felt the need to demonstrate because of injustices I faced because of my race? No. And as long as America stays like it is, I doubt I'll ever be discriminated or need to demonstrate because of my race. As a Christian, I can't turn away from the sufferings of others who can't say no to those questions. In the aftermath of the Charleston church shooting in 2015, I was in a seminary class at Gardner-Webb, and I listened to a student body that was predominantly black uh, black men, uh, and they gracefully talked about their experiences with, ra- with racism, and I sat there with my jaw dropped. I had never, I never thought that actually happened in this country. I listened to good, godly, conservative men talk about their experiences with racism, and I just sit there and th- thought, this can't be real, this can't be true. That, you know, this, th- but as more and more stories got told, Not because they were wanting to bag on people, but because they were just being honest. As more and more stories got told, I sat there thinking, how can this be? And then I remembered some of my interactions with people over the last few years, and I thought, of course, it's real. I remember sitting there in that class thinking, this just isn't right. The Bible says it's wrong. But that truth didn't and doesn't prevent sin just like truth about many things, is ignored, right? But my job as a pastor, my job as a pastor is to combat and confront sin, confront and combat sin with truth and grace, truth about sin and grace to overcome sin. So my job tonight and always is to combat sin with this truth and to help help us find grace. But let me make a few things very clear, if I haven't already. Should law enforcement officers, should police officers have to worry over dying for doing their jobs? No. Nobody that puts on a badge and a uniform and goes out to protect people and does it justly and righteously should have to worry about dying for doing their jobs. But should African Americans have to worry about dying for simply being black? No. No but it doesn't have to be either or we don't have to pick sides do blue lives matter of course Romans 13 says they have been given God's authority to protect the land do black lives matter of course they're children of God and for this conversation not to diminish a profession but a race is far more sweeping the blue line can be removed the black skin cannot be removed And it should not be anything anybody feels inferior about. If I don't want to accept the burden of a pastor, I can resign and do something else, whether that makes me happy or not. But nobody should have to deal with a burden because of their skin color. And you say, well, it's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. And it is a sin problem because people make skin color a problem. And that shouldn't be an issue in 2020. But it didn't just start. It's been around a long time. People ask me, are there examples of racism in the Bible? Of course there are. Maybe not the kind you would think, but there are. The Jewish people in the ancient world were very nationalistic. Uh, They were very, in many cases, racist. They didn't want to share their God with anybody. And they thought because of their heritage, they had some sort of superior uh, you know, vantage point than others. And even though God told them their purpose was, was to make him known to everybody, they didn't want to share him. And that bled over to the church. Peter was told to take the gospel to Gentiles. Peter was told to take the gospel to white people. And he said no. Makes you feel kind of funny, doesn't it? God said, Peter, I want you to take the gospel to the Mediterranean, to the Greco-Roman area. Peter said, no. There was a lot of reasons why he didn't like Romans. They killed Jesus. They oppressed the Jews. But God said, that stuff doesn't matter. I want you to take the gospel to a certain centurion. Peter, an olive-skinned Jew, didn't want to sit down with a light-skinned Roman. And Peter, of course, later repented of that. Uh, he was taught a lesson through a dream, and God said, listen, you need to go, and Peter half-heartedly went to, the God, went to Cornelius' house, and when, Peter, when Cornelius became a Christian, he was humbled and repented. But there's an even greater example, one that doesn't have a nice resolution, or as nice of a resolution, and I want us to look at that text tonight, uh, because it's, it's very powerful, and it shows that what's going on in our world today and has went on in our world and our country in the last hundred or so years. More than that, it's been going on for a long time. So Numbers 12, uh, not to really explain the context of this, but Moses is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, and Moses meets an Ethiopian woman. Moses, an olive-skinned Jew, meets a black-skinned Ethiopian. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman kind of want you to make, make it very clear what their problem is. They had an issue with the people of Ethiopia. Now, it may not have been because of their skin color, but it was because of their race, right? And you can't separate the two. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Ha, has he not spoken also to us? And the Lord heard it. So they decide that Moses has lost his ability to lead because he married somebody of a different race, of a different color, now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all the earth, all the men who were on the face of the earth. Again, they didn't have a problem with the fact that he married her. They had a problem with her. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, "'Come out, you three, to the tab- tabernacle of meeting.' So the three came out. "'Lord came down in the pillar of a cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle "'and called Aaron and Miriam, and they were both went forward. "'Then he said, "'Hear now, my words, is there a prophet among you? "'I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision.' I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So they have, God has a word with these two for speaking out against Moses for the woman that he married. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And here's why it, I can tell you without any doubt that this was a race issue when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle suddenly Miriam became leprous and Moses makes sure we get the point she became as white as snow then Aaron turned toward Miriam and she was a leper so Miriam You think you're better than her because your skin's lighter? We can make it as light as possible if you think that's what makes you better. Now, I don't say that because anybody here needs to hear that. I say that because I need to hear that. That God's response to racism, he wasn't fooling around, was he? He wasn't joking. Now listen, people use this Bible to condone racism for hundreds of years in this country. They lied about Cain and about about Ham and Canaan. They lied about it. And that was there the whole time. Notwithstanding the fact that Paul says slavery is wrong in the New Testament. I bring that to our attention to say what we're facing in our country isn't a new problem. It was real then. And it's real now. God has a powerful remark about it. As powerful remarks about it now as he did them. I don't have to go into full review of how we all are made in God's image. But Paul summarizes it better than I can. He says for, for, that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live all on the face of the earth. So how did we all get here through one person? I don't know what color Adam was, but people would ask that question. I know this though. God's glory illuminates many shades of color. We all bear a different shade of his glory. You go read Revelation, there's all sorts of colors around God's throne. God's glory illuminates many different shades of color, and you and I and all of our brothers and sisters from all around the world bear a different shade of that spectrum. So why are there multiple colors, multiple shades? Because God's glory is not just one color. It's not just one note. It's many different ones because he's that glorious. And that's why racism is so prevalent. The enemy plants this seed in everybody's heart because racism is a direct attack on God's image. That's why it is so prevalent in our world. Listen, hatred of any kind is an offense to God, but hatred towards any aspect of His glorious image is perhaps the most vile offense. I've said this before, but you know God didn't want images made of Him. You know, you know why? Because we are all made in His image, and you don't have to have an idol to be reminded of who God is and what He looks like. Because everybody you're ever eyeball to eyeball with is in His image. We don't worship them, but we do love them because we love Him. See, sin tainted every image of God and tries to pin image against image to further disgrace and mock God. That's the drive behind racism, and that's why the enemy will not ever let it die if it's up to him. Racism is a choice tool of the enemy because it spreads hatred based on a lowest common denominator to the most possible people. It says the problem is the color, the problem is their ethnicity, and anybody in that category falls under that offense. And that's why, here's why I'm talking about it tonight. Only Christianity can bring an end to racism. Only the gospel can bring true reconciliation. Not political action, not social justice. That just creates more division and more rage. If you want to know how that works, watch the news. Only Jesus can end this disease. And only Jesus' people can help bring an end to this disease. So it's important we can't stay silent, can we? because we've got the remedy you might not know you got it but you do see ultimately it's god's image it's ultimately god's image that has been disgraced by racism jesus alone restores humanity to our creator's image so if he's the only restoration then it's only through him that this disease can be defeated listen to this from colossians 3 this is so big so big so good Seeing that you have put out the old self with its practices, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image. So Jesus renews us to the image of God. And look at what that means. Where there is no Greek or Jew, where there is no race as we see the world, no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But what God does in restoring us to him in Christ, he breaks down those labels and those categories. So that's why Jesus is the only way to cure this problem. And that's why God's people are the only hope for this world. Christians, we see the world more connected than most. We are made in Christ, made one in Christ. We come to know God as our Father and one another as our brothers and our sisters. And thereby, we take the gospel and love that God has given us and we show it to others. And we show them their place with God. We fight racism and hatred with the gospel and with love. As 1 John 4 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love and you can't know love if you don't show love. And if you don't show love, then you don't know love. Not just to our brothers and sisters of the same walk of life as us, same ideas as us, same color of us. Why is this important to Christians? Because what did Jesus say in John 13, 35? You've heard me quote this. You all know this by heart. By this... All will know that you're mine. How will they know if you love? Make love a verb. Right now, there's a gaping wound in our country, and everyone has an answer, but only Jesus has the total package. Our calling is to fill this void with love, and when we fill that void with love, we bring the hope of Jesus, and when we bring the hope of Jesus, we bring healing. But there's no healing without hope. There's no hope without love. There's no love without God's people doing it and going with it. Listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for being white. (laughs) Some people do that and that's silly and that's just unproductive. I'm calling all of us just to be aware that racism is evil. And it's real. And until it's eradicated, everyone will suffer. seven or eight years ago, longer. I watched it happen on this, on this property. We can't ignore it. And if God's people take initiative, we can destroy it. Listen, the reason why black lives matter is because until they matter, all lives won't matter, Right? Until everyone is respected for who they are, better yet, whose they are, we won't make progress. Listen, we can't fault all cops for what one did. Of course. Anybody that acts like that, they don't want to have, that bring progress. They don't. Want, that's why it's important that we know we speak the truth because there are people out there that say stuff like that. We can't treat people differently based on the color of their skin either. We can't burn stuff down. Nobody should burn anything down. But nobody should gun anybody down either. Nobody should knock out windows and steal. But nobody should put a knee on a neck and kill. And it's our responsibility to shine a light into our world for all those in law enforcement, for all those in the African American world. Listen, I get it. When you don't take sides, it just brings tension. I get it. It tends for me to not take sides, but what good does it do to take sides except channel my anger towards someone that may not even be at fault? And I know, I know, there's this tension when you don't say that somebody is wrong in this as political wrongs are laid at people's feet. Here's what I know. My sister-in-law and her baby girl shouldn't have to worry about her husband and her daddy coming home or not, because of some opportunistic anarchist who wants to co-op the real problem. My wife and my mother-in-law shouldn't have to worry about their husband or their dad coming home because of an anarchist out there trying to take advantage of an open field. But our black sisters shouldn't have to worry about their husbands or dad being killed just because they're black. Now, I know it's tense when I don't say one side is wrong or one side is right, isn't it? My brother-in-law and my father-in-law shouldn't have to worry about their profession being drugged through the mud and slandered because of some racist, power-drunk colleagues that abuse their authority. But our black brothers shouldn't have to worry about their race being ostracized and because of a society's preconceived notions about black people either. Listen, I I know I don't present any solutions, I just present tension. That's the point. The only way to work out tension, we learn Sunday, is through earnest prayer. Every time I water the flowers, there's a kink in the hose. And until I pull it all the way out, it's not going to be fixed. And can you feel the tension in our country right now? The tension will remain until every child of God starts praying. We as Americans have hid behind and fell for the bait of politicians for too long. The last few days, I've watched politicians on every angle, every side hold a Bible up. Some doing it because somebody else did it first, but every one of them has tried to say, well, here's what the Bible really says, or here's what I stand for, here's what the Bible... Listen, God's Word is not to boost your poll numbers or to be used to send a political message. God's Word is power from heaven that can change the world. Don't just hold it, open it, and read it, and do it. When we do what the Bible says we'll see that we're not supposed to take sides. We're praying for Jesus to take over. Okay? I'm not going to take a political side because I get mad at both or all. There's more than two. My prayer is that Jesus take over and he can use anybody no matter what their affiliation is. So we've got to get rid of lines and sides. My call is for us to fall on our faces and ask God for help. And in asking for him to take over... He can use us, or He can work a makeover on our society through us. But until we pray for a takeover, there will be no makeover. So what can we do to help bring reconciliation? What can we do? Where can we start? Well, listen, we're the church of Jesus Christ. We, can, we, can stop try, we should stop trying to dance around the problem and rebrand it and repent. And start walking in a direction that elevates kingdom ethics and kingdom environments ethics that pursues peace and justice, environments that reflect inclusion and unity. And I'm going to say something that's going to step all over me. So if it makes you feel convicted, listen, it convicts me more. I love you. In a country where minorities are among the poorest and most in need and the most unchurched, if a church isn't intersecting with people of another race, it's because we're actively avoiding it and ignoring it. What can we do to bridge and reconcile the gap between races? If our ministries are not intersecting with people of another race, we're either avoiding it or we're ignoring it, as in our mission. Now that hurts me because I think I do a lot. We avoid the calls into ministry in our community. We ignore the call from God that we're headed toward a multi-ethical kingdom. Multi-ethnical. We talk about how one day we're all going to be in the same place. Listen, we're already already connected. We're already one body. Our Lord and our Savior is a brown-skinned Middle Eastern man. We need to pray and lament as God's people and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I know my eyes are on You. We should quit worrying about a culture war and start addressing the spiritual war that we're all in and that we're losing. Listen, God does not need America. He does not need Baptist churches. He does not need me. And unless I sign up and obey the mission, He will go on without me. Our society isn't just headed toward judgment, we're living in it. And this doesn't mean the last days have to be close. We might live in this hellscape until for thousands of years. But it might be for our good if it causes us to wake up and pursue Him and renounce every idol we serve. Listen, we can say, well, it's the system's fault. We're part of the system. And I can't change the whole system, but I can change myself. What is happening around us is judgment. We're not headed towards it. We're living in it. God has given our country over to who we really are. A divided, lost, confused people. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1 as I close. You would almost think he's talking about 2020 America. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land and your presence. It is desolate as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left as a booth and a vineyard, as a hut and a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us to a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, your rulers of Sodom. You give the ear to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. And this might surprise you what he says. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? I've had enough of your burnt offerings, the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lamb of goat or goats. As in, your worship services really aren't doing anything for me. When you come before me, who's required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. What is God telling Israel? You look religious, but your streets are on fire. When you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes. When you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And here's what he says to fix the problem. Wash your hands, make yourself clean, put away the evil of your doings from before me. He goes on. Cease to do evil, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless or the weak, plead for the widow or the one who cannot plead for themselves. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they can be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. You heard it loud and clear, didn't you? What can we do? We can learn, seek, and correct our ways. We can learn how to do good. We can seek justice for those that aren't getting it. We can correct and rebuke the oppressors, whichever side they might be on, even if we're on that side. We should defend and plead for, reach and represent those that are in need, no matter what their color is, what their job is. If this brings the call into ministry a little too close to your heart, good. We are not at our leisure. If we can walk through life without being burdened to bring hope and change to our world, then we are not being led by Jesus. People tell me, well, this just really kind of cramps my day and, you know, really gets me. I don't want to get involved in that stuff. I shouldn't have to. Listen, you don't have to. But if God, if Jesus is in your heart, you're going to have to. Because you're on a mission. You know what Paul said, about our mission? All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. He says that is in Christ. God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their sins against them or entrusting to, and entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. So if God and sinner can be reconciled, why can't sinner and sinner be reconciled? If sin is no longer in the way, if God no longer counts sin, why do we still count skin? Don't really have an answer for that. Can we commit to adopting a kingdom ethic and creating a kingdom environment so that we can counter our world's descent into hell and its sinful ethic with one of God's? That's the only hope we have. That's the only choice we have. Listen, I want the rapture to happen tomorrow as much as anybody, but every day that God lets us continue on this world is a reminder that I've got a mission to complete. And I'm on a ministry of reconciliation, and it starts with one person at a time. So can we commit? Can we help eliminate racism by promoting unity found in Christ alone? How can you eliminate it? How can you help promote unity? Don't let anything divide you from anybody, especially when it comes to the color of your skin. And help bridge those gaps where you see them. Help eradicate division, desolation, and destruction by practicing the love of Jesus. How can we eradicate division? Love people. We can help erase sin by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can fight against racism and division and sin by promoting unity, by practicing love, most of all by preaching the gospel of Jesus. It won't change everything all at once, but it may change one person at a time. And that's all we can ask for. Because how'd you get here? Because God changed your heart. Not because your mama or your daddy or your grandpa or your grandma or your preacher did it for you, but because God changed your heart one-on-one so that we might can take that same message and that same ministry of reconciliation and go help somebody, one person at a time. I appreciate y'all being patient with the message tonight. I know that was a long, a lot to talk about. But it was important that we have that conversation tonight. Not because anybody here needed it. But come on, we all needed it, didn't we? I would love for you, whether bowing or seating, I would love for you to join me in prayer. As we pray for our country. As we pray for those in law enforcement. Those in the African American community. As we pray for those that just want to stir up trouble, we turn them over to God's hands. What we know is that God has the answer and God has the healing. And our prayer will not fix it all. But may our prayer spur us and compel us forward to take the message of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight, Lord, I'll be honest with you, I've never been prejudiced based on somebody's skin color, but I have, at times, grouped people into a category just because of what they look like. I never hated somebody because they were different than me, but I have been afraid of people. I have judged people. Lord, you know that. You know my heart. But Lord, I say that because I don't think I'm contributing to the problem. But I do know that the only reason I'm saved tonight is because Jesus fixed my problem. He saved me. He forgave me. And He set me on a road of restoration and reconciliation to my Creator. Lord, there's a world out there that's on fire that's in terrible shape. Lord, there are people that are legitimately hurting they don't know what to do. They feel like they're, the world's against them. And I don't know what it's, be, what it's like to be in their shoes. It's easy for me to say, well, that's not true, just kind of move on. But I don't know what it's like to feel that way. God, there are people in law enforcement that are doing their job that are literally fighting a war in our streets right now. Not just not against peaceful protesters, but against just crazy anarchists. Lord, I don't know what is, all that, what is going on and what causes all this, but I do know that somewhere in the middle of it is a sign from you and is a message from you that says this is really what you've asked for. The judgment that we are seeing in our world and our country right now is a result of division and a result of the systemic sin in everybody's heart. Father, I pray that you would forgive me of my contribution to that. I pray that you would forgive me, Lord, for where I've let sin fester in my heart. But God, for the things in our world right now that we can't fix, that only Jesus can, Lord, may you use us to amplify the hope and the healing that only God can bring. Lord, help us to go out of our way to bring unity where it's been lost. Help us to go out of our way to love where somebody's been hated. Help us to go out of our way to preach the gospel where somebody's in sin. Lord, we've got the bomb of Gilead. We've got we know the physician. Help us to go out of our way to minister to somebody who doesn't know it. And they're hurting or they're angry or whatever's going on, and they're trying to blame somebody and point the finger at somebody, but Lord, only you can help. Lord, what risen church is doing tonight. We join together with our brothers and sisters in our world right now that are genuinely earnestly seeking you. God, because if we don't do it, there is no hope. Because only you can bring us the redemption and the restoration that we're looking for. God, thank you for all of your people that have come into this house tonight. Thank you for their faithfulness and for their love for each other and for the the world. May you use each and every one of us, Father, to shine a light into a very dark world. That's the only hope we've got. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.